Welcome to PMA Takes on Tech, the podcast that explores the problems, solutions, people, and ideas that are shaping the future of the produce industry. I'm your host, Bonnie Estes, Vice President of Technology for the Produce Marketing Association, and I've spent years in the ag tech sector. So I can attest, it's hard to navigate this ever-changing world in developing and adopting new solutions to industry problems. Thanks for joining us and for allowing us to serve as your guide to the new world of produce and technology. My goal of the podcast is to outline a problem in the produce industry and then discuss several possible solutions that can be deployed today. This episode of PMA Takes on Tech is sponsored by CropTrack. CropTrack helps companies digitize their unique supply chains and break down data silos. Whether it's data about crops, contracts, operations, or carbon, CropTrack offers an easy way to manage data needed for tracking, tracing, or transparency. To learn more, go to croptrack.com backslash PMA. As many of our listeners are keenly aware, the race to develop systems for carbon capture and reduction is on. Today, we're going to dig deeper into the carbon challenge and talk to two innovators who are working with food companies to ensure transparency across the supply chain. Joining me today is Dave Sangus, who is the former Chief Sustainability Officer at Campbell Soup and founder of 21C Impact. And Anthony Kingsley, head of ESG, which is Environmental, Social, and Governance, and Impact for Benson Hill. Welcome to each of you. Thanks so much. Dave, tell us more about your background uh, and the work that you're up to now. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. It's uh, it's great to be here and great to be with you, Anthony. I think this is the first time we've met virtually, um, but I've been following some of the work uh, of you and your company. My background is, uh, I would say, you know, it started in core environmental health and safety. Um, I spent more than a decade at Intel Corporation, where I created their sustainability and ESG strategy, clearly different than food. Um, in 2008, uh, Campbell asked me to come and join them to create their first version of this, right? The food sector was a little bit later in mass than the tech sector and um, was there again for a little over a decade and worked on sustainability um, as well as responsible sourcing, sustainable agriculture, and some of the public affairs and reputation programs. And for the last couple of years, I've been advising companies across sectors, some very big food companies, um, some very small startup, even food companies, but also companies that are in different sectors in life sciences or finance or tech as well. So I'm having a lot of fun and um, cutting across a lot of these topics we're going to talk about today. So what what services are you providing for your clients? Primarily, it's advising on strategy. So most of these companies are at some point along the maturity curve of ESG or sustainability, and they're either starting. Um, they may be getting questions from investors if they're private companies, or they may be getting investors or questions from institutional investors and other stakeholders if they're great big public companies. Some are well on the path, and they're just looking to amplify or actually integrate this into their business functions, whether it's HR or marketing or procurement. Um, so they're across the board. And mainly I sit as a extended member of their leadership team just to help mm-hmm. accelerate that progress. 
That makes sense. Anthony, you recently joined Vincent Hill as Impact and ESG Director. Tell us more about your role and your focus there. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, so Sam, Dave, great, great to meet and, and great to hear about your work as well. So Benson Hill, uh, we are a food technology company that combines uh, food science, data science, and plant science, uh, leveraging the natural genetic diversity of plants to produce more nutritious and sustainable foods uh, that really address consumer demand, uh, right? Especially from, from those uh, millennials and, and Gen Zs. Uh, you know, we're, we're really focused on developing products that are, that are optimized um, from the seed level, right, to, to really help meet this demand. And, uh, and yeah, and so I, I joined Benson Hill in, uh, in January, and it just really attracted me, I think, because, you know, they're, they're so focused on, on innovation, um, and, and not only for themselves, but enabling innovation throughout the food industry as well. And, uh, and that was just very, very appealing to me. And then, of course, you know, they, they have a, a what we call a closed loop strategy right, that provides um, that provides us insights at each of the stages of the value chain. So working with growers, working with processors, working with retailers and CPGs really provides um, just a very unique look right at, at the entire supply chain as a whole. And so I thought that was just super interesting. And uh, and of course, their their focus and their purpose uh, for existing is is um, is to provide nutritious, sustainable, and, and healthy foods, uh, and provide greater access um, to those foods and ingredients as well. So uh, so yeah, I'm just really really happy to have uh, have joined Benson Hills at at, uh, at such a great time. For people listening, there may be people that don't know Vincent Hill, which um, would be surprising, but there could be. But it's a it's a company that's grown really quickly in the last couple of years that um, I've watched really prosper and do well. Um, so was this a new role? Are you the first person to have this role and it was a new role that was created? Yeah. Yeah. So I am the first person to hold this role. Um, but but as I said, you know, the the. Uh, the, the purpose of Benson Hill was is really to develop sustainable, healthy, and, and nutritious foods. I think bringing myself on board was an opportunity to really formalize and solidify um, all all the great work that, that had already been put in place, and uh, and really build a, a more strategic and intentional approach around it as as we continue to grow as an organization. Yeah, which is how companies grow. So <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but, but, yeah, part of that uh, part of that sustainability journey curve. I think that Dave mentioned earlier. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Dave, in your work, you talk with many food industry executives. I'm curious about your perspective on the recent reports claiming that supply chain disruptions during COVID will be nothing compared to those from climate change. What are you hearing about that? Yeah, there's there's some truth to that. I would say I think that the the challenge with the COVID-related supply chain disruptions is they were not seen. They were not anticipated in mm. the way they played out. They came up so quick. Everybody might have had, you know, global pandemic on their risk map, but it was way out, you know, on the in the fourth quadrant. So they're going to be different. I think that the, the, the shifts and the impact that we're going to see from climate change across the food supply chain, but a lot of other supply chains as well, both from physical risks that people understand, right? I mean, sea level rise and other things like this or disasters and hurricanes and weather, but also the transition risk and not being prepared 
to manage technology transitions like Anthony is describing in agriculture, but also other shifts that come with electrification and the you know analytics at the farm level. These are huge disruptions. Um, the good thing is that they are visible. May not everybody may not be reacting to them in the same way, but they're at least there, and people are working on them, and they can start to plan now. Um, the bad thing is they're going to be change life changing for some of these people in the in the value chain. They're going to change careers. They're going to change skill sets needed, and um, they're definitely going to change the way food is produced, um, delivered, and communicated about. Anthony, what do you think in in looking at this and uh, the climate change um, disruptions? Yeah, you know, Dave, I I think what you mentioned is is spot on, and and I would think of it really in two pieces. One is that that resilience. What can we do to continue to prepare for the changes that we'll see? When uh, when the IPCC report came out a couple of weeks back, it was very clear and evident, right, that climate change is happening. It's happening today, and we'll continue to feel the impacts um, in in many different ways. Uh, and then the second piece being, um, it doesn't have to be um, as bad as as it could if we continue to mitigate to see organizations, industries, government policies being set around the different commitments. Um, we see a lot of right, private sector companies focused on um, on long range sustainability and GHG reduction commitments. So, so I think both of these, having the resilience, having the mitigation coming together and, and really being able to avoid some of the, those worst case scenarios is certainly an opportunity for us. And, and I think the food industry is poised to, to contribute in a very significant way. Yeah, and I think having people with roles like yours or companies like yours, Dave, that, you know, this is front and center and, and that those you know, 10 years ago, people like you weren't in leadership conversations. Um, and so I think that makes a big difference too. Um, so kind of pivoting to carbon, um, there's so much talk about carbon capture and sequestration in ag, and even some programs out there for payment, mostly in broad acre crops. Anthony, is Benson Hill developing or participating in carbon capture or credit programs with your partners? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So, so in short, yep, uh, yes, we are. Uh, we're we're very interested in uh, in carbon. So at Benson Hill, all right, we we have a proprietary technology platform that we call Crop OS, right? Crop Operating System, and this system combines large scale data analytics and artificial intelligence. Uh, with plant biology and food science uh, to produce crops that are that are optimized for taste and, and nutrition. Now, um, right, big data, right, essentially, uh, and, and and predictive analytics and machine learning are, are are things that are being used and delivered across different industries. Now, by harnessing this, right, we're able to simulate breeding outcomes and uh, produce crops that again are really optimized for for certain characteristics for example, such as protein content. So engaging with our growers in that way, collecting data, leveraging on-farm technology is really important. And a key piece of that is, how are we measuring carbon? How are we measuring our greenhouse gas um, impact and, and output on those farms? And so just this year, uh, we've uh, become members of the ESMC, 
um, the Ecosystem Service Market Consortium, and uh, and they're very focused on uh, producing a, a carbon market and uh, and actually water quality market as well. And so, uh, as part of that membership, we're very engaged in working through. Uh, how we can prepare our growers and, and our farmers for entering into that type of carbon credit market. And data and technology and understanding what's happening at the field level is a critical is a critical component of, uh, of making that happen. So um, what types of programs are either of you seeing that might work in the produce industry? I know that this isn't really your focus, but um, Dave and some of the work that you've done, Campbell type companies and, and, you know, what are you seeing? What are each of you seeing in that area that might work? Yeah, I think that the, the parameters that Anthony just described are the, the consistent themes that have to come through with this, right? So a lot of what is happening in, agriculture around carbon is, you know, better agricultural practices that focus on healthier soils and carbon sequestration. All that is great for the farm. It's great for nutrition. It's great for the environment, but it needs to be measured and it needs to be accounted for in order to put it into a trading program. So the data is really key. And the same type of systems you put in place around tracking and measurement the hardest thing is really getting down to the measurement of the sequestration, the change in the carbon in the soil. How long is it in there? Can I account for it? Then can I, you know, assure it and monetize it? That's been the challenge. Campbell looked at a couple offset programs in rice and um, in the past and companies are, you know, clearly they're doing forestry. You've seen this play out all over the place, but it's the same technology if you're in produce for the same ranges of topics got to have the data got to be able to measure the change got to be able to measure the timeline and then account for it so if i'm in the produce sector i'm thinking about it the same way that anthony described in his sector um it's more difficult i would say because they are there hasn't been as much you know piloting going on in produce mm -hmm. and um the other thing is i think it just the, the way the customers, a lot of this is pulled up through the value chain, up by brands, up by publicly traded companies making carbon commitments, that sometimes that the produce line, frankly, where it goes in the food system and, and where it goes up the brand chain is a little bit different than some of the row crops. But generally- Do you see that as a positive that it, because a brand would be able to say, be able to say that this is carbon neutral or or however they want to phrase it as a branding thing does that make it more positive for produce you think yes the way these work i mean and and what i think is sometimes produce may be challenged because there may not be a lot of brands that are stamped on produce right yeah there are a few and we know the ones that there are but the way these programs work is you're looking for value across a bunch of channels. You know, there's a value in carbon reporting. There's a value to the brand, perhaps in marketing. There's a value in reputation. Somebody's going to be paying for the pilot and paying for the work. So you're looking to spread that brand value out if you can. And definitely if I, if, you know, if I'm a company um, that can take credit for it um, authentically, transparently in my product, I'm going to take credit for it. And similar to the attributes that Anthony's talked about in his products as well, whether it's nutritious, more sustainable, um, carbon's a great way to start and a great data piece to go after. Yeah, I, I might just add on to that as well. I, I very much agree. And I would think of this as really two, two ends of the value chain uh, that are working harmoniously. 
So on the one hand, we want to work with our growers and uh, enable them to, to improve their soil health. It's something that a lot of growers are focused on and we want to help enable that. Now, you know, part of doing that is the potential to sequester carbon. So through, uh, through implementation of some of these agricultural and conservation practices, right, they're, they're able to achieve improved soil health. And as a byproduct, that carbon sequestration can then potentially be monetized as carbon credits. And what's nice is then when you, when you turn and position to customers and consumers, yes, you can definitely bring that story through and, uh, and provide right, that sustainability marketing, that sustainability storytelling around what the growers can do and how we are uh, providing ingredients or providing foods that have Right, such a such a great nutritious, uh, reduced carbon emission, uh, and and healthy story around it. So I think I think these two components, right, really work hand in hand with one another. Yeah, I think in, in talking to a lot of the producers um, in our industry, they I've heard a number of them say that that focusing on carbon is really not the right place to to focus that we really should be focusing more on healthy soil, like you mentioned, because that, you know, if you develop a, a healthy soil, you're going to get return on investment. And so a lot of the practices that, you know, sequester um, uh, or capture carbon it, are the same as going to give you healthy soils. So I think that's right now um, we did a, a think tank with a, a bunch of producers talking about this and, and they basically, some of them were felt like they were missing out. They're like, okay, you know, everyone else is getting money and I'm not getting money. Like, how do I get money? But um, a lot of them just said, look, this is, this is part of the practices that we do for healthy soils. And so that's, you know, we don't, we don't expect to get money. So I, you know, should, if you were talking to a group of growers, like what would you, would you say that, that the soil is the most important thing or that, that it's a two component thing? Yeah. I'll give you my, my two cents. Sorry, um, Anthony. I, I don't think that we're talking about two different completely things, right? I have actually been asked by investors looking to set up investment screens several years ago about how to manage or how to assess these companies that were taking claims about healthier soil, frankly, one of the ways you do that is measure carbon content, right? So healthy soil is the, I would say the, the North star, that's what we're looking for. But in order to take credit for it, in order to monetize, you have to measure something and you, maybe you measure organic content, which is carbon, or you measure water or, you know, a reduction in certain things. So I think that instead of kind of one, either, or a lot of, uh, a lot of advice I would give is look at carbon as a measurement to drive and to assess soil health. Yeah, I, I very much agree with that. And and I, I think to your point, Dave, it, it it makes sense at the field level too, right? Because the, the end goal is for us to produce foods that have that nutritional content, right? That have um, that have good yield. And so soil health is a key component of doing that. I think what helps drive growers or farmers toward that outcome as well is when there are food system, I'll call them enablers that are happening, right? Such as, okay, I'm doing these practices already. Uh, now that I can measure it, there's a potential for additional revenue through carbon credits, 
right? Uh, we're seeing um, even even as Congress right now, right? The the Growing Climate Solutions Act was passed by the Senate, so the ability again an enabler through the government to potentially help uh, farmers and ranchers, right, to set up a carbon market. Uh, we're seeing a lot of talk from the SEC and uh, and Mr. Gensler right now. Right on um, on ensuring that there's better regulation around the ESG. So I think all these enablers are going to help motivate and push the food system in this direction. So when you look um, forward, how do you think this is going to evolve? Like in two years, Anthony, do you think that there'll be more uh, programs in place and and farmers will be getting paid? Or um, you know, right now it's just it's a little all fools rush in, you know, it's like everybody, well, use my program. No, use my program. And, you know, it's, it's really kind of hard to figure out how to go about this. So how do you see it evolving? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, I, my, my guess would be that we will start to see a little bit more policy around it, that we'll start to see uh, more of these uh, private public partnerships like the ESMC, for example, who will begin or at least help to frame, right, a little bit more quantification and more standards around around where this is going to go. So, um, so yeah, I I would suspect that we'll start to see that. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think there's going. The other thing I would add, I mean, I, I agree 100 with Anthony. I also think that there's going to be advancement in the um, the platforms and the technology, both in terms of the data overlays, think of like a Google idea or an operating system like a Microsoft where the platforms the technologies are able to speak and we're using common language and this is gonna accelerate. It's also, it's gonna take away some of the burden on some of the smaller suppliers because they don't need a separate piece of software for every customer that comes to them. Mm -hmm. But it's also gonna accelerate a lot of the learnings that we see and some of the standardization, which is what we need. The challenge in ag is um, that nature is not a standardized environment. So, mm -hmm. you know, doing something in a field in one part of the country doesn't automatically, you can't sell that carbon or that practice somewhere else in the country because it's not identical. You've got temperature, water, fertilizer, um, implements, everything else. But I think all those things are going to advance. I think it'll still be messy in two years, though. I don't think we'll be all the way there, but I do think it'll be further along and, and there'll be more... Um, more players at the table. Yeah, I think when you look more at like five years and you think about if if it's standard, you know, if there's policy and if there's standardization, then that's going to make it a lot easier for people to participate, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And I also add how important the evolution of technology will be here. Um, you know, as, as um, Dave, as, as you pointed out earlier, you know, testing soil organic carbon, soil organic matter, bulk density of soils in those fields, uh, that, that's not cheap and it's, it's, it's not easy to do. You have to go into those fields and pull multiple soil samples. And so I'll also be very interested in how technology continues to evolve and, uh, and makes that easier and, and more cost effective. Yeah, because a lot of that work is being done with models now. And Dave, as you said, that it, it doesn't take into account or it can't take into account all the variability. I've also I was talking to someone that they were talking about a 
um, a technology where a drone could fly over, you know, the top and using a sensor could better predict, you know, what was going on under the soil. So I think you're right. I think there's going to be technologies where um, just going out and taking those core samples, is, it, it's just too cumbersome. And, and that's, we can't build the industry on that, but I think there's, there's an open door for, and a lot of money to fund companies that have different ideas. So in, uh, in this series of the podcast, uh, we've been talking about how to rebuild a resilient and secure and transparent supply chain. Can you both speak about how fresh food companies are using technology to realize ESG commitments on farm processing and onto the plate? Dave, let's start with you. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. It's um, it really is a nice transition from the question you just asked, right? I mean, you're talking about drones, perhaps hyperspectral technology or robotics, um, a lot of imaging going on. I think that technology is really the unlock, and where consumers understand technology, it's a win-win, you know, bonus um, all the way through. There's some technology coming to market that consumers need to be educated on a little bit, so they they they're, they're bought in and they're brought along. But we're seeing this, as we've talked about on farm, this conversation's been basically kind of what we're seeing at the farm level. And it hasn't been the hardware piece, which is a ton of that. Um, also, just in how food is grown. I mean, we had relationships and conversations with, you know, vertical agriculture, indoor agriculture, agriculture in a box, you know, specifically design agriculture for certain ingredients that we wanted to and then replicate that anywhere in the world. Um, Inside the processing or conversion, um, for example, I mean, there's plenty going on, especially around traceability and transparency, making sure that we know where everything's coming from. If there's claims being made about, you know, a lack of a certain ingredient or component or free from, this is all, you know, um, enabled by technology. And the, you know, on the plate, I think is really where the payoff is. You know, Anthony, you know, let him talk about, you know, some of the nutrition. We've seen it play out before. They've, there's things in their pipeline and things in other companies' product pipeline that are really interesting and, and value added, both to the planet, but also to the customer, the consumer. But backing that all up and helping the consumer make informed decisions that they trust and that they feel good about for their family or for themselves is where the the value is for everybody. And you know, we had a couple examples where we were able to tie just some of that storytelling from the plate to the farmer and the farmers feel better. You mm -hmm. know, the mills feel better. Everybody on the chain feels better um, because they're, they're kind of part of the story. And I think that's another opportunity that technology is going to enable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I very much agree, Dave. You know, at, at Benson Hill, we're, we're very focused on engaging those different levels of the supply chain, right? Those, those different stages and connecting our farmers and our growers with consumer trends and, and really understanding what it is that's driving consumers. And, and what I think is interesting here that you mentioned around transparency and traceability, right? Those are, those are key words that are really going to help drive this connection bringing that, that value chain just a little bit closer together. And technology is gonna play a fundamental part. How can we bring that story, that information, that data of that food uh, along with the physical product as it gets the consumer? Uh, I, think, I think telling that story really enhances and, and certainly improves the trust that consumers have in, in, with, within the food industry. 
Um, so yeah, I, I very much agree. I think technology is going to, is going to be a fundamental component here in order for us to really share that story. Mm-hmm. So sticking um, with you, Anthony, on Benson Hill's website, there's a strong statement from well-meaning to well-measured. Tell us more about this work and how you are going about ESG from a measurement perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as, as we, we touched on earlier, uh, there are a lot of uh, companies that are doubling down right on their sustainability commitments during COVID. And we really, we really saw this in, in 2020 during, during the pandemic, we really saw this enhanced. We saw a lot of organizations really focused on this. And, uh, and at Benson Hill, we're, we're not any different. Uh, we're really focused on a commitment to the environment, to social responsibility. It's the core uh, of our ethos. And we recognize uh, that these strategies and objectives are, are really just, just the first step. Right? So when we talk about this well-measured component, um, we know that there is a thirst for more quantitative information and data from investors, from consumers, from all sorts of different stakeholders. And so at Benson Hill, we're very actively working to identify and measure these quantifiable goals uh, for, for our behavior as a company. And the performance of our products and the impact that we might contribute, whether it's on the farm, through manufacturing or processing, or even um, at the consumer level. Now, we've, uh, we've partnered uh, with an organization called CropTrack, where we are aggregating information and data so that we have deep insights into each of those stages of the value chain. And for example, um, because we're connected with each of those stages, uh, we're able to influence and pull that information instead of going through multiple tiers of suppliers and vendors, right? We're directly connected. So we have a higher confidence in them in the information that we're receiving. And we can then feed those insights back into our, our crop OS system. And using tools like a life cycle assessment, for example, we've, uh, we've identified that during the processing stage um, for our ultra high protein soybeans, um, we can actually skip um, certain concentration steps uh, to reach right, a high level of protein. And in, and in skipping those steps to create soy uh, protein concentrate, we're able to then uh, remove carbon. And, and through that, that life cycle assessment, uh, we're able to reduce carbon and reduce water use at those stages as well. Dave, do you have anything to add about measurement and the importance? Well, I, th- I think just to add kind of a layer above what Anthony said, but I think the ESG space is um, it's noisy right now in a good way for some companies. Companies, um, like Anthony's that are focused on this and are, are building their story early days, there's opportunity to frankly create a differentiated story with, with frankly differentiated results that support your brand, that support your mission, that support your marketplace, your, your financial bottom line. Um, there's noise to manage, especially if you're a publicly traded company. But I do think there's great opportunity in this space and technology is an enabler. ESG is very broad, which sometimes it can cover everything and feel like companies have to boil the ocean, but it's a great opportunity for companies to pick the most material things for them and then build the data systems to back it up. Cause that's really where you get the credibility and the eventual authority on the topic. Mm-hmm. 
And, and I think it's combined with, with what we mentioned earlier on carbon markets. The more information, the more validation and verification you can provide, the higher level of confidence the industry uh, and, uh, and potential customers will have when, when looking at the, the carbon market and purchasing carbon offsets. So my last question, um, both of you have been focused on sustainability and ESG throughout your careers. What are you most excited about for the industry, the food industry? Dave, let's start with you. I'm really, um, and I don't want to take this story away from Anthony, but I really am excited <laughs> about technology. I, I think that, um, you know, technology is something that is, needs to be embraced. It needs to be put to work. It needs to be communicated in a way where consumers are brought along on the topic and not um, sold on the topic. And some technology is super easy to understand and they're 100% on board and they're frankly taking part. And some of the technology that's um, coming to play in the food sector is, is super interesting, but it's also different for consumers. And we need to be able to have a conversation with them, help them understand the value to the environment, the value to the food, and to, to kind of welcome their, their conversation in the topic. But I know when I joined Campbell, I, told, I came from Intel and I said, you know, we're, we're going to be a technology company. And they're like, no, we're a food company. <laughs> I'm like, no, every company is a technology company. Trust me. No, no, we're just going to focus on the food. Um, it didn't take long uh, yeah. before everything happened. And it was, you know, it wasn't just um, hardware and software. It was chemistry and biology. Um, and transparency and packaging. So I think that the food sector is in a complete positive disruption from technology. And that's what excites me the most. I think it's also what excites the new talent coming into the sector. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, completely. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've always been, been in love with the food industry, right? From, from when I was uh, uh, much younger. And it's because it impacts our lives in such a positive way, right? It, it influences uh, our health, our personal health. It brings our community together, right? families, uh, families come together around the dinner table. So, so I think what really excites me is, is our capacity to, to continue to leverage technology and really you know, touch the lives of, of everyone around the world and help. Um, improve the health, nutrition, and the sustainability of, uh, of the food system. And, you know, what, what I think is really interesting, and, and we have this stat, uh, I think, on, on our website and that talks about uh, how, how the U.S. spends $1.7 trillion on food annually and spends uh, equally even a little bit more on diet-related illnesses. Mm -hmm. And so our ability to invest in this and invest in a in a nutrition, uh, to invest in nutrition, in health, in the sustainability of our foods, it really has the ability to have such a significant impact. And, uh, and to Dave's point, yeah, uh, technology is going to play a critical role in helping us achieve that. This episode was fascinating to talk to experts about carbon through the lens of ESG and how technology is, as Dave said, the unlock. As Anthony stated, we can leverage technology and touch the lives of everyone to help improve the health, nutrition, and sustainability for the food system. Well, that about nails it. Thank you for listening. 
That's it for this episode of PMA Takes on Tech. Thanks for allowing us to serve as your guide to the new world of produce and technology. Be sure to check out all our episodes at pma.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and I would love to get any comments or suggestions of what you might want me to take on. For now, stay safe, eat your fruits and vegetables, and we will see you next time. Bye.